Habakkuk 2, verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Last week I said that Daniel's life was similar to Joseph's. They both were able to interpret dreams for the kings they were going to serve and were thus promoted to the highest positions in the lands in which they lived. This chapter is a history, but it is a history of prophecy by a dream and an interpretation of it. In Pharaoh's dream, Joseph's interpretation of it related only to the years of plenty and famine and in the interest of God's Israel in them. But Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which we are about to look at, and Daniel's interpretation of that dream, look much higher to the four monarchies and the concerns of Israel in them, and the kingdoms of the Messiah, which should be set up in the world upon the ruins of them. So let's pick up right now with Daniel 2, verse 1. Now the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. It is difficult to understand the exact time that this speaks of. Some commentators say that this happened while Daniel was in his three-year training course. Others say that it was as soon as after he finished. The ancient Babylonians spoke of the beginning and the end of the reign of their kings, in a way that often overlapped in years. Therefore, the year 602 BC could be both the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign and after the three years of training for the Hebrew youths. Ecclesiastes 5, 7. For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. We all have dreams when we sleep. Sometimes the dreams are pleasant, sometimes not. And there are dreams that we can remember just bits and pieces of. And they bother us. They bother us deep down. But as we live our lives, you know, sometimes we can come back and catch glimpses of this in real life, and it brings the dreams back to full glory from when we had them. This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was experiencing. There was something disturbing about his dream. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that it was unusually significant. Daniel 2, verses 2 through 9. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation. You will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore declare to me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. 
The king replied, I know for certain that you are a bargaining for time. Inasmuch as you have seen that command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. I think that the king is still in his bed. He wakes up with his troubled dream and he's going, man, I've got to know what this was. So he sends for all of his guys, all of the magicians and sorcerers and Chaldeans and astrologers. And these guys are thrilled. They're like, the king has called us to his bedroom. Oh, this is so great and glorious. We can't wait to be in his presence. Now, it's hard to say for sure if Nebuchadnezzar really remembered the dream or not. Perhaps he had a general sense of it, but only a vague remembrance of the details. Just like us in our own current days. Sometimes those dreams that bother us, we only remember those bits and fragments. And then it drives us crazy for the rest of the time. Now, he didn't know for sure if all these people he called for could correctly interpret the dream. However, he could test their ability to tell him what he dreamed. Despite their protest, Nebuchadnezzar didn't ask too much of these magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. These men made their living on the supposed ability to contact the gods and gain secrets from the spirit realm. If, it, if they were really what they claimed to be, they should be able to tell Nebuchadnezzar both the dream and the interpretation. Now, this is quite a pickle he is putting these guys in. They are to tell him his dream without him even giving a single clue of what it was he dreamed. If anyone could tell him, well, gosh, they would be wealthy beyond anything that they could imagine. And we've seen this type of stuff made in the past where David was concerned with King Saul. Whoever can kill the giant, I'll make them so wealthy it'll make your head spin. Well, these guys are in a bad way because he's already told them, if you cannot tell me the dream I dreamed, then you're going to die. And you're going to die in a horrific way. The harsh threat of that Nebuchadnezzar had made of the execution are both perfectly consistent with the character of the ancient Eastern kings. And one of these methods was to take four big strong trees and bend them into the middle of a, of a center area, tie them up with a rope, and then take the person and, and tie each limb to each tree, and then cut the rope that the trees are tied, the trees are tied with. And the trees would spring back to normal and tear a person limb from limb. That's a scary thought. And these guys knew this is what he was going to do. But it was worse than that. He is going to destroy their homes and their families to boot. Daniel 2, verses 10 and 11. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. 
Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not on the mortal with the mortal flesh. The Chaldeans admitted the true revelation comes from God down to man. They understood. King, oh great king, how can we do this? There's no God living on earth that we could talk to to have them tell us what the heck you dream. Well, they understood, perhaps against their own inclinations, that revelation was not the achievement of man. Amos 4.13 For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts. He who makes dawn in the darkness and treads on the high places of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. Despite all their wisdom, both real and imagined, these wise men had no answer for Nebuchadnezzar because only God could bring the answer to the king. The strategy of the wise men was to convince the king that he was unreasonable. Not that they were incompetent. Are you kidding us, king? Nobody's ever done and asked this type of thing before. Everybody that wants an interpretation has always told us what the dream has been. But you're asking for the impossible. As far as these pagan magicians and astrologers and wise men knew, there was no God who lived among the flesh and blood of man. None. How can we go ask if none of them live here? They're in a whole different plane. Daniel 2, verses 12 and 13. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Though he was a despot, Nebuchadnezzar knew that false religion is worse than than useless. He knew that it was a curse and he had no use for wise men that could not bring him wisdom from God. (coughs) Excuse me. What good are you if you can't tell me what I want? What kind of magicians and, and wise men are you? You're not wise at all. Proverbs 2, 6. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. As a new king, Nebuchadnezzar also perhaps used the situation to test the suitability of his father's old advisors. The dream provided him with a good reason to clean house. You see, he's probably looking at these guys and saying, all of you dudes were were there for my dad. And you gave him all this great advice and you, you did all this other stuff for him. Now I need to see if what you did was for real. And if not... I get to get rid of you. So here they come. They knock on Daniel's door. Daniel, come out. We got to kill you. Daniel's going to be sitting there wondering, what the heck have I done? Why are they going to kill me? So he opens the door. And then he sits there and looks at the guys. Daniel 2, verses 14 through 16. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Ariok, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Ariok, the king's commander, 
For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Now Daniel is obviously innocent in all this, yet he calmly and discreetly dealt with the crisis. How do we deal when, when a crisis times occur? When bad things are happening, do we run around with our hair on fire? Oh, God, what are we going to do? Or do we be like Daniel and remain calm in this crisis? It does no good to be upset and in an all fire hurry about anything. Daniel's calmness in this crisis showed what kind of man he really was. In one sense, a crisis does not make the man. Instead, they reveal the man. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? How do we react during a crisis situation? Are we calm, collected, so that others see that we're not panicked? So that they can go, what is different about you? Why are you not panicked or, or upset with this? What's going on? So that you can share God. This is what Daniel's experiencing. Psalm 5.3, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice in the morning. I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Daniel knew what, that, uh, that he would need more time from the king and requested it. It wasn't just a stalling tactic. Daniel knew that it takes time to talk to God and then wait for God to give an answer. And Daniel was willing to take as much time as was needed if the king wants. Well, Daniel 2, verse 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men, of Babylon. Daniel was in this type of situation where only God could meet his need. Therefore, he knew how important it was for both him and his companions to pray. Now, this was just not any old prayer. This was not like what some of us hear nowadays or some of us have done in the past where they sit, where you sit down and you go, oh dear Lord, yep, thank you so much for all the good things you do. Now, give me this, give me that, give me the other thing, the other. Gimme, 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 gimme. No, this was not that kind of prayer at all. This was a prayer that would be earnestly prayed from the soul. Daniel had confidence that God could do an unprecedented miracle. Joseph had interpreted dreams with God's help, but had not reconstructed the dreams. Pharaoh told him what they were. Daniel has to come up with the whole thing that the king dreamed. Considering what was at stake, there is little doubt that their prayers were extremely earnest. Their life was on the line. Colossians 4.2 Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. This is where it gets to be fun. Think about this. These guys know that their life is on the line. They are asked to do the impossible thing. 
They don't panic. They get together in a prayer circle and they pray. And they pray. And they pray. And they pray. What do they pray for? God, can you tell us what it was that Nebuchadnezzar drummed? And then tell me the meaning. Lord, we know you can do it. You're the most powerful guy around. And be honest with you, Lord, you're the only one that can. And we thank you for everything. Even if you don't do it and give us the dream and the interpretation, it's okay. Because it's your will. And the amazing thing happened. Daniel 2.19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This was not a religion, but a revelation. Daniel did not find it out. God revealed it to him. And Christianity begins with the principle of revelation. What we know about God is what he has revealed to us. Think about that. Think about that for just a minute before you became a Christian. Did you know who God was? Had you ever really even heard about God? Or did something happen that God revealed a piece of him, maybe through nature, maybe through a family matter, maybe through some friends or whatever. And you began to search for God. And the more you searched, the more you found. And the more you found, the more excited you got. And the more excited you got, the more you realized there is a creator, a being that loves you so much. A being that wants to bless you. And you decide you're going to serve this person. You're going to serve this God. You see, our job isn't to figure out things about God, but to understand what is revealed to us. We don't know exactly what this, what this whole vision thing is that Daniel had. It could have been a dream. It could have been a vision. But it took place at night. And it was a supernatural thing. Daniel 2, verses 20 through 23. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power. For even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel praised God for his power and might. Daniel thought of how God is in command of all things. And how God is mightier than a mighty king like Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel praised God for his communication to man. All God's power and might were of little help to Daniel if God would have stayed silent. It would, be no, it would do no good if God was silent. Job 28, verses 27 and 28. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, is understanding. Daniel was grateful that God revealed his great knowledge. Daniel had, a, had the certainty of faith 
to believe that God gave him the answer, even before confirming it with the king. He knew it was from God, and he knew that God gave him what Nebuchadnezzar dreamt. And he thanked God and praised God even before he went and talked to the king. Our level of faith is often indicated by how long it takes for us to start praising God. Think about that. When you start praying about something, <coughs> excuse me, do you sit there and say, Oh Lord God, you're so awesome and powerful. I want you to do this or I want you to do that or I need this or I need that. Do you understand and believe that God could do it even before you spoke and opened your lips? Before it was even into your mind, do you think that God did not know it? A lot of times, we won't praise Him until the answer is at hand. And when we do it that way, there's really not that much faith. You're just hoping beyond hope that God is going to look down and just do whatever it is you want Him to do. You don't want to worry about giving praise. Well, He hadn't answered the prayer yet. Why would I praise Him? What is there to praise? It's not there to be praise and have and faith. You're supposed to have faith before you pray it. You're supposed to be able to say, Lord, I know you can do this and I know that you will. If it's in your will. We're supposed to have that confidence. Greater faith is able to praise God when the promise is given and received. When we have that kind of faith and understanding and know that God is powerful enough to do anything, that's when we need to start praising Him and blessing Him and giving Him the honor and the glory and everything that's due. Daniel 2, 24 through 30. And therefore Daniel went into Ariok, who the, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Ariok hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Balthazar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. Think about that for just a second. Before I continue with the rest of this verse, these, these verses, think about what Daniel just said. The king said, can you do it? And Daniel says, no. Nobody can do it. Isn't that exactly what everybody else told him? No man can do this thing. Nobody. And as we continue, he tells him, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made it known to you what will take place. But as for me, 
This mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You see, Ariok got up there and he tried to glorify himself and Daniel for the answer to the king's dream. Oh, look, Nebuchadnezzar, great king. I got the guy that can do it. I found him. I found him, old king. But Daniel didn't want any part of that. Daniel refused to take credit, recognizing that the credit went to God, who revealed this dream to Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar's dream didn't just concern himself or his kingdom, but the whole span of the future, which was what to Nebuchadnezzar the latter days. Daniel continued. You, O king, in Daniel 2, verses 31 through 35, you, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue, that statue which was large and extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and arms of silver, and its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue become a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel's description was clear. This was a massive and spectacular image made of different materials. Fine gold, silver, bronze, iron, partly iron and partly clay. The materials descended in value from top to bottom with the gold at the top. In this spectacular image, was destroyed by a stone made without hands, and what remained was blown away. It was worthless like chaff, while the stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Can you imagine as Daniel is telling King Nebuchadnezzar his dream and telling him what he saw? Can you imagine his eyes? getting as big as dinner plates. Yes, Daniel, or no, Belshazzar, that's it, that's it, that's that's what I dreamed, that's what I dreamed. He's excited. What does it mean? What does it mean though? So Daniel 2, verses 36 through 45. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things 
So like iron that breaks into pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, uh, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom and it will have in its toughness of iron. Inasmuch as you saw that iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. In that you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will step up a kingdom, will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Daniel accurately reported the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And this gave Daniel credibility when he gave the interpretation. This image represented the kingdoms of the earth that should successively, successively, repressively rule among the nations and have influence on the affairs of the Jewish church. Every one of these kingdoms that are going to come out from Nebuchadnezzar onward are going to affect the Jewish people in one way or another. The four monarchies that were represented by four distinct, uh, were not represented by four distinct statues. There was not four statues. They were all into one. One giant statue that was so impressive. They were all one and the same spirit and character and all more or less against the church. It was the same power only lodged in four different nations. Two, uh, the two former lying eastward of Judah and the latter two, the westward. Nebuchadnezzar was clearly to be said the head of gold. After him would come three other kingdoms, each represented by a different materials Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. After the succession of kingdoms, then came the final kingdom set up by God. This prophetic dream was, a, was clearly fulfilled in history. Three dominating empires came after Babylon. The Medeo uh, Persia, the Greek, uh, Greece and Rome. The nature of these empires was accurately reflected by the nature of the image Nebuchadnezzar saw. The empires succeeding Babylon were inferior to, to Nebuchadnezzar's head of gold in the sense of their centralization of absolute power. Nebuchadnezzar had absolute power. He was the absolute king. He was used by God to do what God needed to have done. He was an absolute monarch and the succeeding empires were progressively less so. They were larger and lasted longer than Babylon, but none held as much centralized power as Nebuchadnezzar did. The Babylonian empire stood for 66 years. The Medo-Persian empire for 208. The Grecian empire for 185. 
And the Roman Empire stood for more than 500 years. That third kingdom of bronze uh, was the one which shall rule over all the earth. Think about that one. Who was it that was a Greek king that ruled over everything? Alexander the Great. And his empire was the largest among those compared in the image. There are some commentators, though, that do not believe that the fourth kingdom is Rome. They say that it's Greece, uh, and that the second and third kingdoms were Medea and Persia, respectively, instead of the Medeo-Persia empire as a whole. They interpret this this way because they believe that it was impossible for Daniel to predict the rise of these empires. This described the fulfillment of his prophecy in the future. Think about that one for a minute. I wholeheartedly disagree with these commentators. And here's the reason why. Who did Daniel go to to find out who, what the dream was and its interpretation? To God. So if you listen to these other commentators that say, well, no, it's impossible for Daniel to do this. You call God a liar. You put God in a box. If God gave the dream to him and told him its interpretation, I'm sorry, but I have to believe that what Daniel said that God told him was correct. That stone that was cut without hands shatters a confederation of kings represented by the feet of the image and then God's kingdom will dominate the earth. Since Roman history provides no fulfillment of this federation of kings, which seems to number 10 because of the number of toes and passages like what it tells us in Daniel 7, 24, which we will get to here in a, in a handful of weeks, and then what it tells us here in Revelation 17, 12. The 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. This prophecy must still be the future. Since the fall of the Roman Empire, there has never been a world-dominating empire equal to Rome. Oh, many have tried. Oh, yeah. The Huns, Islam, the so-called Holy Roman Empire, Napoleon, Hitler, and Stalin. But none have succeeded. Each of these had amazing power and influence but nothing compared to that of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, in some form or another, will be revived under the leadership of the final fallen dictator, the Antichrist. Think about this. This has still got to be future, the future events. We're waiting to see who these ten toes are. When Christ was born, what empire was he born into and under? The Roman when he was crucified and dead and buried, what, what kingdom? The Roman. He's risen and ascended and is waiting until God says it's time to go back. We're waiting to see who these ten toes are. And when we find out, Christ will come back and he'll shatter everything. And it will be nothing but the kingdom of God that's still set up.
A single stone that was cut out without hands will bring down the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. This described a single decisive event that shattered the image representing the glory of man's rule on earth. Since the church or the gospel have not, in a single decisive event, shattered the reign of human kingdoms, this event is still in the future. This stone without, uh, hand, uh, it's cut without hands is Christ, not the church. We look at Psalm 118.22. The stone which the, reje- which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's scriptures like this and so many others that describe Christ as a single stone. Therefore, the final superpower of the world is sought to be a revival of the Roman Empire, a continuation of this image. This will be the final world empire that the returning Jesus will conquer over. This final world empire will be according to the nature of clay mixed with iron. It will have more uh, the image of true strength than the substance of strength. As a whole, the image accurately represented human power and empire. The image seems invincible, but it was actually unstable at its base. Therefore, one blow to the foundation could topple the whole thing. Jeremiah 27, verses 5 through 7. I have made the earth the men and the beasts which are on the face of the earth by my great power and by my outstretched arm. And I will give it to the one who is pleasing and my sight. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. We will see later on, Daniel had a vision describing the same secession of empires. Daniel will see it from God's perspective. And Nebuchadnezzar will see it from man's perspective. Nebuchadnezzar saw these empires as an impressive image. Daniel saw them as fierce beasts. Daniel didn't guess or analyze. Through him, God announced the future. Psalm 125 verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. The only reason that God can predict history is because he can control it. Daniel 2, verses 46 through 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and a fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Since you have been able to reveal this mystery, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon, while Daniel was at the king's court. 
This great king, Nebuchadnezzar, was obviously impressed. I mean, wouldn't you be if you were told that out of this magnificent statue standing in front of you in your dream, <coughs> that that head of fine gold was you? You are the greatest kingdom that there ever is going to be. Until, of course, God comes. Everything else after you is nothing. They get weaker and weaker. This had to have built up his confidence and his, and his uh, ego just a touch. And this great king did the one thing that most people don't do if you're a great king. He wasn't in the habit of showing such respect to anyone. He paid homage to him. He gave him a couple of gifts right off the bat. He doesn't do this to anybody, especially a foreign slave who is about to be executed with the rest of the wise men. This confirmed that Daniel accurately reported the dream and skillfully explained his meaning. The king was true to his word. Just like, well, almost, I'm not even going to say just like, because I don't think King Saul was true to his word when it came to David. Sure, he gave him his daughter as a wife, but then he took her away. He didn't give him all the riches that he said he would. He didn't make him wealthy or anything else. All he did was try and kill him. But not Nebuchadnezzar. He was true to his word, and he handsomely rewarded Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar knew that it wasn't Daniel himself that revealed these things, but Daniel's God revealed them through Daniel. 1 Corinthians 2.10 for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Daniel wanted the glory to go to God, and it did. Daniel not only had his life spared, but he was promoted to a high office, and he made sure his friends were also promoted. It was fitting that Daniel's friends got to share in his advancement because they accomplished much of the victory through their prayers. Victory through prayer. Prayer is a powerful tool. It's a powerful tool when you pray correctly. When you have the faith and the belief that God can do it. And you let him know. You know that he can do it. You feel it in your bones. You know it in your heart and in the depths of your soul. God can do anything. He knows what you're praying before you even get to it. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. Before it even leaves your lips. And when it comes through, when it comes to pass, and what you prayed for has taken place? Do you tell anybody about it? Do you share the great news? Do you tell people that God answered my prayers? You need to. That's called witnessing. That's called showing people and telling people how great our God is.
Let's go to prayer.